river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm a downdoor junkie. Welcome to the Track Quest Podcast. James Orr here, and joining me as always, my good buddy Bob the Bow Hunter Borland. What's going on, Bob? Oh, same old, same old. Living the dream. Just did a another good podcast with a heck of a bow hunter. Yeah, man. I'm. We're always telling you that you know it's this podcast is about you know just that traditional bow hunting and and it's it's not easy to get these guys on and. And we love getting the big name guys, but we also love digging up just your everyday average Joe that uh, is out there uh, living the dream and, and, and bow hunting with the stick and string. And, and t- tonight's uh, no different. Um, we were able to dig up just a super cool dude. Yeah, Tom, super helpful to me. had a Nevada tag last year for elk, and he'd had the tag the year before, and he kind of reached out to me. And, and yeah, he's just a just a heck of a dude and a heck of a bow hunter too so is he our age yeah yeah i think he's he's 42 or 44 yeah older than me but yeah he's been doing it a long time grew up in a family of bow hunters so heck yeah yeah super cool and so yeah i hope you guys uh enjoy this one it's uh i guess the last podcast for 2018 and um, 2018's been a, a super fun year with the podcast. We've made a lot of new friends and, uh, you know, just really want to thank the listeners for, uh, tuning in and listening to, uh, us talk bow hunting. It's been great. For sure. Yeah. And 2019, uh, looks like, uh, we promised it shouldn't disappoint. We've got some, we're bringing back, uh, uh, some of our favorite guests and we've got some new guests lined up and, uh, we've got some really cool announcements that uh, we'll drop on you guys next year. And, um, yeah, just thanks for sticking with us, and thanks for all the support. We uh, really appreciate uh, all our brothers and sisters of the bow. All right, Tom. Okay. Hubner, how you doing today, buddy? Doing real good. Thanks for having me on. Um, Tom was super helpful. I drew a Nevada elk tag last year, and Tom got a hold of me, and helped me out a ton because he'd had the tag the year before so i uh really appreciate tom on that one and he's also a bow hunting fool been bow hunting a long time so maybe to start this off you could just give everybody a little history of uh who you are and how long you've been bow hunting and why you got into it sure um well i i really didn't have a choice in terms of getting into it i was lucky enough to have a dad that that was already a bow hunter so I was born into it, basically, and I don't ever remember a time where it wasn't something that we did that was really important. Um, you know, back in the 70s when I was born, my dad used to hunt in southern uh, Utah, and I remember being like, gosh, I couldn't have been more than three or four years old. And being in hunting camp, some of the earliest memories I have, and the guys would go out and they'd kill a deer, you know, and they'd bring it back to the hanging pole. And I remember looking up at those things and being like, oh, my goodness, they're huge. <laughs> and uh, just seeing, you know, the guys playing around with their archery equipment at night and everything else, that's some of the earliest memories I have. 
So I've pretty well been eaten alive with it ever since then. Um, I just love everything about it. Man, I can't stand um, guys like you. What's that? I can't stand guys like you and Bob who uh, were lucky enough to have a father that was a bow hunter. I'm just super jealous every time I talk to guys like uh, you guys. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. And and then it, it, it got even better because when we were five years, well, when I was five, which would have been about 1979 or so, um, my dad moved to Wyoming. And so we up and moved to southwestern Wyoming. And uh, it, Wyoming is a terrible place to grow up if you're a kid just eating alive with the outdoors. I mean, <laughs> there's very little opportunity there. All the elk are gone. <laughs> right. They've all been eaten by grizzly bears and wolves. And, you know, everybody should go to Colorado. <laughs> Anyways, Tom, Tom, did I mention that I don't like you? Because I don't. I don't like you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I remember growing up and uh, going hunting with Dad before I was old enough to go or hunt myself. Uh, and uh, he shot a recurve early on, but by the time I remember, he was shooting a compound bow. And uh, he had he had some moderate success with it and everything. Um, and then about the time I started to get old enough to where I could hunt in Wyoming at the time, you had to be 14. Um, it, his work schedule changed so that his busiest time of the year was in September, which is archery season. So that kind of really screwed everything up. Um, and it, it, it really almost made it so dad couldn't archery hunt about the time when I was getting old enough to where I could. So I borrowed dad's old bow. It was a 1976 Carol compound. Um, not like a PSE Carroll, but there was actually a bow company named Carroll back then. And that's what I learned to shoot bows with. Um, then, you know, I spent a lot of time working on shooting and got pretty good with it for a kid. And then about the time I turned 14, you know, dad was able to take me out once or twice on a weekend, but didn't really get a whole lot of time to hunt until I was archery hunt. Anyways, we went rifle hunt a lot. Um, until I turned 16 and I was able to drive myself and, and me and my buddy Cole Thomas from back home, we grew up together hunting. We pretty much every weekend in September, we would cut school and just disappear and go elk hunting. So I think mom was pretty cool with it. I think she called in and saved me more than once with the teachers and just said, <laughs> oh yeah, we're pulling him out of school. But she knew I was going to go whether it was okay or not. So. Um, so that's when I really started, um, bow hunting and really started having some degree of success. And I, I did that until I graduated high school and then I joined the Marines and went to California for a few years and wasn't able to hunt very much. I like being a Marine, but the thing they didn't tell you about, the recruiter doesn't tell you about is that your leave request is subject to the training schedule. And if, if your unit has a big combined arms exercise every September, like mine did, well, you're not getting your leave approved. So I would have stayed in the Marines, but I had to go bull hunting. So I got out and went <laughs> to college, went back to Wyoming. And, uh, from then on, I kind of went on a little, little mini hunting. Just, I, I was out hunting every chance I, could get 
my brother was uh, hunting with me, and we kind of learned how to become cooperative carnivores when it comes to hunting elk. We we did pretty good hunting elk, and um, well, we were in college too. There's a relatively decent chance we we're going to starve to death if we didn't kill an elk every year. So <laughs> it got downright serious for us. <laughs> and then, uh, and that was all with a compound bow. But I'd always been really interested in shooting recurves. I'd seen a few guys hunt with recurves, and and back when I got into archery i mean really there were very very few people hunting with traditional gear and um so one year i think it was around 2000 i had a pretty bad year i i missed three bull elk and i was just kind of frustrated and i I really thought about what the problem was and it wasn't my shooting well it was my shooting i missed but (laughs) <laughs> the, the problem with my shooting was is I just lost interest in practicing. You know, I, I, it was like, well, I could go shoot my bow. Well, or not. Right? It, it just, it, it lost, it just wasn't as fun for me anymore. And I decided I was going to get into trad boats at that point. And of course I was in college and broke and so I didn't have any money to get started. And, and then divine intervention happened. I got into a car wreck. Somebody tail-ended me at a light and caused just enough damage to my vehicle that it wasn't out of commission, but it was just enough to be able to buy a new bow. <laughs> so I took the insurance check, and I cashed it in on a new Bob Lee bow. And genius, you- genius. All right, Bob. I'm like, <laughs> I okay, I, I changed my mind. I do like you, Tom. Uh... And so, yeah, that's. That's what I did, you know, and, and man, it was just like magical. I, I, uh, I was getting up before school every day and I was in Laramie, Wyoming, going to the university of Wyoming and there was a high plains archery club and I would go down there. They had a little combination keypad to get into the door. So if you remember, you knew the combo. And so I'd go down there at like five o'clock in the morning and just shoot my bow for an hour and then go to the gym and work out and then go to, go to class. And I did that every morning for months and months, trying to teach myself how to shoot this recurve. And, and I got pretty good with it, you know. And and uh, next thing you know, it was, I mean, it was hard. I didn't have anybody really around to, to teach me. I just kind of had to pick it up. And uh, then I started hunting with it. Um, and I did okay. I shot antelope and uh, javelina down in Arizona you know, I, I didn't kill an elk with it. And then after I graduated from college, I needed the job and ended up moving to Kentucky. And I killed a few white-tailed deer with it there. And then I moved back out west, and I've been hunting out here since 2007 or something like that. That's awesome, man. I love it. That's almost as good as Perino selling a truck to go on a bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bow, hunters, know, bow hunters are nuts. That's That's for sure. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and and this is the part where James will really hate me. Is about the time I graduated college, my little brother, who's my bestest hunting partner, right? He uh, got a job in Alaska, so he moved up to Alaska, which was a really good deal for me because <laughs> if if you have someone within a second degree of kindred who lives in Alaska, you can go hunt grizzly bears, doll sheep. Uh, I ever drew a musk oxen tag, I could have done that. Um, brown bears, grizzly bears, mountain, mountain goats. goats, that's the other one. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was able to go up there and do some really cool hunts for basically the cost of airfare and, you know, whatever bush flight we had and, you know, half the supplies and everything else. I went on an Alaskan brown bear hunt up there for like $2,000. Oh, goodness. Nice. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, he lives here in town with me. Oh, he's not up there anymore, huh? No, he's totally screwed that up for me. (laughs) The year I was supposed to go doll sheep hunting, too, he called me. He's like, man, I just took a job in Nevada. Like, are you kidding me? Nope. (laughs) No no brotherly love, huh? Ah, nothing, you know. I went on his doll sheep. (laughs) I went on his doll sheep hunt, but he couldn't stick around for one more year. But... Anyways, it was, it's all right. I, I was able to, to go on some really cool hunts up there. So I've hunted kind of all over the place. I've shot, I don't know, uh, javelina, white-tailed deer, mule deer, pronghorn antelope, elk, uh, shires moose, uh, mountain goat, Alaskan brown bear. And I went to Africa once and shot uh, nine animals there. So, Goodness. Yeah. Awesome, so, uh, Tell us a little bit about your um, equipment. You uh, had brought up the Bob Lebo. What, you know, tell us about how your equipment has evolved and the changes you may have made, not have made uh, in your trad quest. Sure. Um, well, the first bow that I actually got, I, I did have an old uh, Martin. I can't remember the model number, but it, it, it was one of those bows you buy for like $30 in a pawn shop. So it was, had a twisted limb and I mean, it, it just wasn't something you'd be really be able to get very good with. Um, not that there's anything wrong with those particular bows. It's just that one had seen some better days, but, um, I really am not much of a bow changer. In fact, I still have that exact same Bob Lee. It's had, it's got a couple of different limb sets that I've had put on it. The one big thing that I have done is I started out at about 60 pounds which is a huge mistake. Yeah. And I'm, I, <laughs> well, like I said, I didn't have anybody talking any sense into me. Yeah. And, and so I started out at 60 pounds. Cause like with my repair, I was, or with my compound, I was pulling like, I don't know, 68 or something like that. So I was thinking, well, I am going down in weight. Well, I didn't go down anywhere near enough. Um, now I'm pulling, I've got a set of limbs for it that are 51 pounds. And what I hunted with this year was a poison dart longbow that um, pulls 52 pounds at 28 inches. And I pull it a little bit farther. I pull it closer to 29, but I'm pretty much in the lower fifties. I really like that poison dart. Um, I haven't shot my bobbly in a few months anyways. I might switch back and forth between. I might start shooting that bobbly again this year. And then I've had a couple other bows, but they never really seem to stick around. So it's pretty much those two. What's, uh, yeah, Buddy makes some really awesome looking bows. I've never seen one in person, but I've seen them online. Um, what's the stats on that? Is it a two piece? Is it a, ta- uh, you know, what's the woods? I'm real curious to know what you got there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a two piece. It's, it's a really great bow. I, I like it a lot because it's, because it's two piece, he uses a chunk of G10 yeah. in the riser section, and that just adds a, a good chunk of mass right in that riser, and it's just really a stable bow. 
Um, the woods, I've got catalogs in the riser and then, um, um, oh, my mind's going blank on what my veneers are. <laughs> yeah, he makes uh, mango. Yeah. Mango. Yeah. But it's, it's a beautiful bow and it's got elk, uh, antler, um, accents on the riser. And I basically, I, I went to a shooting clinic down in Texas last year, that, um, immersion clinic with Tom Plum and, and, um, Oh, the push guy. Joel Turner. Stuff? Yeah. 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 I went to that last year. Me and a buddy of mine from town here, we went down there. Nice. And Tom Plum had a bow almost exactly like the bow I got. And I was looking at it and I was just like, man, that thing is so sweet. And he let me shoot it a couple of times and it was just awesome. So I was like, I'm going to have to get buddy a call here and drop some coin on her new bow. <laughs> gotcha. And I'm glad I did. That bow, I picked it up at CTAS this year um, and I, I was shooting it as good as any bow I've ever shot within probably 48 hours. I mean, I was just firing them right down the center. So I'm really happy with that bow. I really it's, like it. It's 62 inches long. Okay. And like I said, it's in the low fifties. I shoot a pretty heavy arrow out of it. Um, my arrow weight's like 590 and I shoot a uh, two blade cutthroat. Nice. On the front of it. What uh, what shafts are you shooting? Um, they're the Easton FMJs, the six millimeter uh, autumn orange shafts. Yeah, it's a nice nice heavy arrow setup. Yeah, yeah, it is. But the FMJs, I'm not. They fly nice out of my bow, so I like them. But the bad part is, since they're they are part aluminum, I mean, you definitely can bend them, which is kind of a bummer. Um, I've messed around a little bit with wood arrows here and there. It's just I generally don't have the time to just really sit down and build good wooden arrows. And I, it, you know, for the amount of money that I would spend doing that and the time and everything else, I'm just better off going with with something that I just don't have to work that hard at right now. Sure. Did, when did uh, Easton start making the FMJs in autumn orange? Well, they had a limited edition in like 2016, I think. Oh, okay. Sweet. So they don't make them anymore. Oh, yeah. Man. They're, they're, they're pretty cool. Cause you know, that's like back to the good old days when I started yeah. hunting. People actually had those. And, uh, you know, when I whip my bow out, people look at it like, what are those? <laughs> people <laughs> just don't, people that have never seen them if they haven't been in archery for 30 years, you know. I, so, I ran yeah, that full metal, cool. I ran this full metal jackets for uh, one season and I was climbing up out of this nasty brush hole here in the jungle. And I mean, literally like using my hands to get, get up this super steep uh, section I was in. And when I set my bow down and I was moving myself up, I slipped and my hand landed in the middle of my quiver and I bent every arrow in the quiver. Oh, so yeah. That, yeah. That, that was, uh, that was the end of F and J's for me. See, I, I yeah, love, like, alu- I love aluminum. Careful. You know, growing yeah. up like, like you did, that, that was what everybody, all my uncles, my dad, I still got, I can go through my dad's bow stuff and see the old XX75s, Autumn I mean, just camo game getters. I love those aluminums. Brings, brings back. Oh yeah, I've got, uh, I don't know, a couple of boxes just full of random arrows from 
you know, bygones past, right? Yeah. And I would open them up every once in a while, look at them all, and oh, there's like a 2513 autumn <laughs> yeah. orange shaft. <laughs> yeah. Shoot those old logs, 2514s or whatever they were. That was, that was, that was a good old days. Quivers with 12 arrow yep. quivers and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so that's pretty much my setup right now. And the nice part is since my bows are in the same kind of weight range, I can, I don't really have to, I can, I can switch that same arrow setup back and forth between my recurve and my longbow, and it shoots them both really well. So, um, you know, that's that's what my current setup is. Nice. Great. So, so you had a great year. You drew. Yeah, it was pretty you good. Hunt, you hunted locally there in Nevada, and then you also drew a Wyoming moose tag. Yes. So uh, yep. let's let's start on your Nevada deer hunt. I know you were. I was. Uh, you killed that buck when I was down in Nevada on my elk hunt, if I remember right. You yeah. were texting me and stuff, and it sounds like a good story. So, so let's start. Oh there. yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I drew a tag. It's not too far from town. It's it's an area where there's a lot of roads, um, so the access is pretty good, and, and it's it's desert country, you know. And the season starts August 10th here in Nevada for archery. And for your listeners that don't know what August in Nevada is like, it's like you've got probably about a 19% chance of it being in the 80s and hot and dry, and then like a 60% chance of it being in the 90s, hot and dry, and maybe another 19% chance of it being in the 100s and hot and dry, and then the other, whatever's left is like rain, hail, or snow. So it's hot and dry a lot here and this year was really bad we had a lot of fires um that that just ate up a bunch of country so i'd I'd never really hunted this end of the unit before and talking with my brother and a friend of mine chris they pointed me off in a direction and i kind of went into this basin and hunted for a while and didn't see much i saw some does and one small buck but um which I would have been happy to sneak up and shoot him too, but he, he saw me coming a long ways off and ran away. So I hunted there for a few days and just wasn't seeing what I wanted to. So I switched to a different spot and, and uh, drove up to this kind of more mountainous hard country and looking around and saw a couple of bucks and thought, well, I'd be happy to shoot that little two by three. So I put a stock on them and, Got into about 40 yards or so, and the wind switched, and a couple other bucks ran off with him. One of them was a four-point that was a pretty good buck. You know, I'm looking at him as he's running away going, dang, I'd sure like to get that one. Now, that was on a Friday, and I thought I, I had something I had to take care of on Saturday, and I thought, well, I'll come back on Sunday, let this place calm down a little bit to see if these bucks are still in here. So I came back on a Sunday, that next Sunday, and, you know, it's, I could drive basically almost right to where I wanted to glass from, you know, it was a couple hundred yard hike over to the glassing knob and I plopped down and started glassing and I looked up on the mountain and there, were, I don't know, a dozen bucks or so up on this mountain thinking, well, this, this might work out pretty good. And I'm kind of looking around and they were all kind of together, you know, and I'm, so I'm paying a lot of attention to them and, and all of a sudden I kind of looked off to the side and there was this really big four point in there 
for me, really big. I mean, you got to keep in mind, really big is kind of a relative thing, right? Really big yeah. to some guys is 200 inches, right? Really big to me is like 170 and bigger, right? It's yeah. like huge <laughs> for me. No, this is a really big buck, you know, and I'm I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, man, he's he's got really deep fronts. He's he's a good buck, you know. And he was off by himself, which I'm thinking, that's nice. That, that, that helps. So these deer kind of feed around for a while, and he plops down out in the middle of the sage. And it's still pretty early morning, you know, these deer are up feeding. He's just loafing around, and, and uh, these other bucks just kind of fed off in one direction, and he's laying there. And they all went off into this draw that had a spring in it, and they started to bed down. And all of a sudden, this buck gets up, and I'm thinking please don't walk over there with all those other deer. That would greatly complicate this thing, right? Sure enough, he turns the opposite direction, walks up the hill, and goes up by some serviceberry bushes and beds down. And I'm like, oh, I couldn't have asked for anything better than that. You know, that was perfect. And so I, I couldn't see him, but I knew where he went into this, this patch of brush. And I waited for probably 45 minutes, just making sure that he was planted and giving myself some time. I, I, I always... I don't like to go after deer early unless I know I can get on them in like, you know, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um, because the winds are usually not stable and you've got too big of a chance of the deer getting up and moving again. So usually I won't even start a stock until 11 o'clock in the morning or so. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just watching this buck and he's planted and it's about that time. And I thought, well, all right. So I went and got my, put my spotting scope and everything else in my little ranger and headed down the hill and got to the other side of the canyon and hiked up above him. And it was a pretty good hike. I mean, it's like 1500 yards from where I was spotting him. So it was, it was a good ways. And it was steep. Just this canyon was really steep. And I got up above him and I started working down on him, you know, and I'm going really slow. And this, this is the hardest part of a stock for me is always relocating the buck. Right. Finding them isn't that bad. Getting them put to bed, you know, that it all usually goes to plan until you get around on their side of the canyon and you start trying to relocate them because they're bedded down. Everything looks totally different. And what I what I found pretty helpful is to take a compass bearing from you to the deer. Right. So I'd done this. So I I know that that deer, let's just say he was due east. I don't know, ninety degrees, right? from where I'm at, from my spotting position. So once I get to the opposite side of the canyon, I can whip out my compass and shoot an azimuth. And when that azimuth lines up to be due west to my spotting location, I know that buck is somewhere on that line between the spotting location where I'm at right now. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So Old old marine trick there. Well... (laughs) I was a Ford observer in the Marines, so my life revolved around compasses, maps, and knowing where I'm at, so I didn't accidentally call in artillery without knowing where I'm at. <laughs> there you go. Because that has a tendency to tick everyone off around you. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so I, I had done that, and I knew I was on this line with this deer. And I'm working down the hill, and, you know, I'm glassing and glassing. And another thing that I do is I carry... I don't know, maybe six foot worth of marking ribbon in my pocket, in my cargo pocket. 
because it's sometimes like a yard sale for me coming down a mountain stalking deer. I mean, it's like I'll drop my pack and then I'll drop my boots and then <laughs> I'll drop my binos, you know. <laughs> yep. There. And, yeah, more than once I've had to walk around barefoot for a while looking for my boots. So usually I'll just, you know, hang some marking ribbon in a bush close to where I drop my stuff. So anyways, I'd taken my pack off and and everything and I'm getting down on this deer and all of a sudden I see his antlers down below me about 80 yards stuck out from behind this, this serviceberry bush and, or this sage in front of this serviceberry bush. So I'm like, all right, now I know where he is. So I kind of eased around and they had this, this plant. I don't know what it's called really. I've heard it called mule's ear. It makes this pretty yellow flower in the spring. But come the fall, it dries out, and it shall forevermore be known as the noisemaker plant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that stuff you move, and it's like, it sounds like cray paper yeah. that someone's wadding up. The wind blows, oh, and the no. wind blows. it sounds like a rattlesnake, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's the stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was everywhere on this hill. I'm like, oh, gosh. So it was pretty painful. You know, I'd have to wait for the wind to blow a little bit, start rattling it, and then I'd take a step. And so it took me, I don't know, an hour, a couple hours maybe to get that last few, you know, yards. And as I'm moving in, I, I got above a patch of serviceberry bushes where I wanted to get to, but I realized I didn't have a good shooting lane down to where this buck was at. He's only 25 yards away, something like that. I'm like, dang on, you know, I, I got to move around to the front of this patch of serviceberry bushes. So it took me another 20 minutes or so to do that. And I got around and just as I'm easing into position, you know, I'm getting over there. And this is the weirdest buck, by the way, I've ever seen in my life. And I'm getting, getting where I'm going to shoot from. And I hear this buck either lets out an enormous burp or a fart. I'm not really sure which one it was, but I heard burp. <laughs> what the heck was that, man? I've never heard a deer make this obnoxious noise in my life. That I don't know what he did, but you know. So I I get down and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and the sun is just baking me. And you know what it's like? You're just sitting there, just dying, feeling like a piece of beef jerky. <laughs> and I thought. And and so the wind would quit every once in a while, and that always makes me really nervous. You know, when the wind kind of dies down, it usually means it's just going to change directions real fast. And I'm like 20 yards from this buck. In fact, I tell people I'm 20 yards from this buck just to make my, myself feel better. I was probably more like 15. <laughs> Anyways, so I decide I need to get this deer up. So I'm going to do the old rock tossing trick, right? So... Now, this is very tricky because this has backfired on me many, many times. You got to get the right size rock. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't want one too big. You don't want one too small. So I look around. I pick up about a, I don't know, an inch by an inch size rock. And, I, and I'm looking at where I got to throw this rock. Well, I got to kind of throw it over this serviceberry bush I'm next to and down the hill below the deer. It's kind of a tricky little throw, you know. And I'm like, all right. So I go and I chuck it. Well, I'm not a very good rock chucker because it hits the serviceberry bush right above me and falls down right at my, like right in front of me. And I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> sure enough, I hear, I see the deer's antlers twitch, you know, and I'm like, uh oh. Well, 
five minutes or so goes by and he doesn't do anything. So, all right, well, let's try that again. So I chunk another rock and goes arcing out. Got it over the bush at least that time. And it went down to where I wanted it. And nothing happened again. Well, this goes on for the next hour or so. This buck just is not getting up. So I'm like, okay, I got to get this rock pretty doggone close to him. I get it there and I go to throw and this rock kind of hangs up in my finger tab. So it goes arcing across and I'm like, oh, this is a disaster. It's heading right for the buck. <laughs> it come down and plop right on it. I mean, if I didn't hit the deer, I landed within a foot or two of him. And he comes jumping up out of his bed, and he stops broadside at, like I said, somewhere between 15 and 20 yards. And he turns around, quartering away from me, looking down into his bed. It, this is just, like, perfect. And <laughs> I, look, I look down at my bow, and I remember mumbling to myself, okay, you shoot this arrow perfectly, or don't shoot it at all. I looked up at the deer, and he's still looking completely away from me, quartering away. And I told myself, load, anchor, transfer to holding as I got my bow up. So there's my spot. Here I go. And I started to rotate. I, my shot activation word is rotate. Rotate, and the feather touched my lip, and poof, that arrow was gone, and I missed him to the right. <laughs> like, oh! Well, he jumped and ran off, and he stopped out there at like 40 yards and just looked around. I, I didn't even bother trying to shoot him because I just missed him at some range. I'm, I really shouldn't have missed him. <laughs> well, anyway, so I'm pretty heartbroken. This deer runs off, went down, got my arrow, totally clean. I didn't even touch him. It, it looked just a little bit low and right, and I've, that's my miss. If I'm going to miss something, it's, it's low right. I've. I collapse a little bit when I shoot and because I was shooting with a mechano receptive trigger Joel talks about and expanding and everything else, uh, it's harder for me to collapse. But what I have figured out in the last few weeks is I've got a really bad bow shoulder and my bow shoulder will ride up. And when my bow shoulder rides up as I'm rotating into my trigger, it's basically a collapse and I'll shoot to the right. And I'm pretty sure that's what I did. So it's kind of a bummer because I shot a perfectly controlled arrow and totally missed this deer. So anyways, <laughs> I uh, I walked back, drove off the mountain. I called Joel Turner. I was like, all right, Joel, you were supposed to fix this crap. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we talked about it. He's like, well, you shot a perfectly controlled arrow. You just missed. I'm like, yeah, I know. So... So anyways, I, I was like, well, maybe I'll be able to find that deer again next weekend. He didn't, he wasn't too spooked. You know, he never saw me, he never smelled me. All he knows, it was raining rocks and one hit him and then something went whizzing past him, right? So the next weekend, I, I talked my buddy Chris into going out with me. We went back to the same spot, same kind of deal, got there right before light, hiked out to this glass and, glass and knob. Looked around, and we spotted probably 17 bucks up on this hill. And Chris, of course, I'm, I'm looking through my binos. Chris has got, like, the Hubble spaceship spotting scope. I mean, he's got this monster piece of glass. And I'm over there going, oh, there's some bucks. 
oh, there's some bucks. Oh, there's some bucks. I spotted like every buck except for the buck that I'd missed the weekend before. He spots one deer, and it's the buck I'd missed the weekend before. And you would have thought that I owed him like a billion dollars or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, there, you can't spot your own buck. And I'm like, yeah, I saw every other one. <laughs> so anyways, um, so like I said, there were some fires burning to the north of us. And all of a sudden, we're watching these deer, and a helicopter comes flying over the mountain, and it's riding pretty low, you know, and it comes over the mountain and scares from the canyon over from us this enormous three-point. I mean, he had to have been a 28-inch three-point, come running over the top of the ridge with another four-point or two and some other bucks. So there's like 20 bucks in this canyon, and they all kind of filter over the top of this ridge, and we're watching them, and... And as we're sitting there watching these bucks, you know, I hear a, a Polaris Ranger or something like that coming down the road. And I'm like, oh, it. hopefully they don't kind of get, hopefully they don't get in on this, right? And I heard them kind of turn and go heading off. And I never saw them, just heard them. And I'm thinking, well, all right, you know, there's other people hunting here and there's lots of roads, right? So watching these bucks and they all kind of split up into these different groups. And my big buck that from the weekend before he plopped down out in the sage again, shortly after daylight. And we couldn't really see him. Just one little antler tip that Chris could see through that big piece of glass he's got. And so he's watching that and I'm watching all the other deer kind of filter out, you know, two of them went up over the top of the Canyon and Five of them went walking over into this draw, and another couple of them went over the big three-point, and a couple other bucks went and bedded down by this big um, service area bush. And, you know, these other bucks went off into this willowy draw, and all of a sudden, all the bucks are basically gone, except for mine, and he's bedded out in the middle of the wide open. I'm like, huh. Well, they kind of did this last weekend, too. So all of a sudden, he gets up, you know, after a couple hours laying there, it's getting him on to like 10 o'clock in the morning. He gets up and he walks off and he goes and beds down by this other service berry bush on a little bit different, a little bit different area than the weekend before where I stalked him. So Chris and I are talking about it and I'm like, well, I think he's probably planted for the day and he's by himself again. You know, I'll go get my stuff together and see if I can't put something on him. I said, you just stay here and watch him, you know, make sure he doesn't get up and move. So I went back and thought, I better shoot a couple of practice arrows here before I take off. So I picked out a cow pie on the side of the road, you know, 30 yards away or something like that. And I shot and I hit like an inch above it. I'm thinking, well, that was pretty good. So I did that again and fired another arrow right, right in there. And I was like, well, I feel pretty good today. That's that's good shooting right there. So um, I drop off the canyon, and I start heading up the other side. And like I said, it's really steep. So I stop, take a breath, and I'm breathing. And I thought, well, maybe I should look over there towards where this buck is. And I look up on the hill, and there's a dude standing like 50 yards below this buck where my buck's bedded. And I'm like, oh, no, this is bad. And so I pick up my phone, I get my phone out of my pocket and I look to see if I've got any service. And sure enough, I've got a little bit of service. And so I called Chris 
And I said, dude, what's going on? And he's like, there's three guys over there. One of them just walked right by your deer. Um, they spooked those a bunch of deer that were down in the bottom. One of those bucks went running probably 10 yards away from your deer. And they look like they're going off towards that three-point now. Those guys are. And I'm like, okay, well, if I hurry, I can probably catch them up on top of the mountain here and have a little confab, you know, figure out what's going on. And I said, did they scare my buck out, that big four-point? And he goes, I, I don't know, but there was a lot of things going on. He's like, I was trying to watch these guys. I was trying to watch all these deer run away. So I didn't see your deer leave, he said, but he might have gotten up when I wasn't looking. I said, okay. So I got off the phone walked up to the top of the hill as fast as I could, and, and I met up with one of these guys. His name was Jesus. He's a pretty cool dude, you know. Run into Jesus, and I, I'm talking to Jesus. I'm like, so you guys know about this big three-point over here, right? And he's like, yeah, we're going to move on him. And I said, okay. I said, he's in a spot where I don't think I can get close enough to shoot him with my stick bow. I, I, I think it was one of those deals where you could get 40 yards, and that was about as good as you were going to get it, right? I said, did you guys know about this big buck up over here? And he said, the big four point. And I'm like, yeah, big four point. He said, we scared him. And I'm like, no, not the hard horn one. When there was one hard horn one, he, he said, no, I didn't know about a velvet horn buck. I said, he's like a 180 inch buck. I mean, he's, he's big. You would have known if you saw him. He goes, no, I didn't see him. I said, okay, well, since you don't know where he is, you guys mind if I go try to shoot him? He said, no, that's fine. And it was Jesus and his wife and his son. They were trying to sneak up on these deer. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. You guys go after that three-point. That's a really big three-point. Anybody would have to shoot that three-point. So we got it all kind of sorted out. And Jesus said, well, how can I, how can I not screw you up? And I said, well, if you go back the way you came, just stay down in the bottom of the draw. And you should be okay. And he was like, okay, really, you know, it's just one of those things. You run into people like that sometimes, and he's just a cool dude, right? Yeah. He was really helpful and friendly. It's always um, best to communicate, too, I think. Some guys avoid that, but I think it always is best to communicate if you can. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, they didn't know we were there just like we didn't know they were right. there, you know. So we were just watching the same same deer. And I – and then it turned out they were in the Ranger. They were, they were the guys driving that Ranger. I didn't know that until later. But So anyhow, um, I, I left Jesus there and kind of headed up the ridge further and got up above this buck and started kind of side-hilling around to where I thought the best attack point was. And I get over to this this the, the, the ridge he was on, and, and he really did me a favor because he'd been on these little ridges. Right, so you've got the the big canyon, but you've got these little drains kind of coming down them with these little ridges in between, and he bet up on those, which that is really handy to me because if he's down in the bottom, he can usually see something coming from, you know, kind of above. They can look up out from their bed and see, but if they're up on these ridges and they're in a bed, they usually can't see very well. So I moved in on him and I got closer and maybe 150 yards and all of a sudden the wind just totally swapped and blew right at him and i'm like oh no 
So I quick like just kind of ran off the ridge there off the side and the, to get the wind to where I, it wasn't going to blow towards him anymore. Well, I didn't really know it, but all of a sudden Chris said he was watching this deer in his spotting scope and it just come boiling out of his bed. He said that deer ran for like 50 yards, threw on the brakes, looked around for a minute and turned around and walked right back to where he was bedded and laid down again. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, he had to have smelled me. He said it was about the same time. Had to have smelled me and everything. Uh, and he just, apparently he didn't trust his nose, went back to, to lay down. This is the only deer I've ever seen in my life that was just begging for me to kill him. <laughs> I mean, this never happens, right? Yeah. So anyways, I, I get I get a little closer and... I finally got kind of the service berry bush picked out that I'm I'm like, okay, he's got to be bedded right in that one. And there were all these magpies that kept flying in and out of this service berry bush. And I remember seeing that when he went and bedded down before from way across the canyon. I remember all these magpies hanging out in this one little bush. And so I was like, okay, it's got to be that one. If I get to this other bush, like 20 yards above him, I should be able to see him. So I work into there and going through the mules here and everything else, you know, it's louder than, I mean, it's just loud, but luckily the wind was blowing pretty good. And so I got up above him and I'm looking with my blind. I was trying to pick apart, you know, just see an antler tip or something and I can't see it. And I'm like, well, doggone, maybe he's not in his bed anymore, you know? And so I circled down below and I kind of start side hilling in. I'm just a little bit above him and, I'm circling in and I'm getting closer and closer. Next thing you know, I'm like 15 yards. I'm moving in a little bit more and I'm like at 10 yards from this bush. I don't see anything. I'm moving in a little bit more and still don't see anything. And I'm about to just stand up and look because I'm like, this deer had to run away. I'm like six or seven yards from this bush, you know. And right and now, you're, right now you're just going on. You're going on faith too, because you haven't seen it in hours, right? Oh yeah, I haven't seen it in forever. Yeah. So I'm thinking this deer got this deer had to have gotten up and ran away when the wind switched. You know, and I I peek around just a little bit higher. I kind of get up on my tiptoes, and all of a sudden I see antler tines stuck out from the sage, like right in front of me, and I mean right in front of me, like. I say I shot him at seven yards, but like there again, he, he was close. He was real close. And so I just kind of squatted down and I'm out in the wide open now. I don't have any cover in the wide open. He's bedded up underneath the serviceberry bush in the shade and he's down in a hole. You know how sometimes these bucks will dig out a big hole in their bed? Yeah. Well, he's down in this hole, and I can't see him when I'm kneeling down. I can't see anything. I almost have to be, like, halfway standing up to be able to see his antler times. So I'm thinking, how is this going to work? And the hill going up from me is just covered with mule's ear, and just I, it's, it's, it's a no-go. I'm not going to be able to go quietly that way, especially at this kind of range. And I've done this more than once where you sneak in too close to animals and it just ends poorly. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to have to get this deer up because just experience tells me that being this close to a deer for very long is just usually not going to work. So I'm like, I'm going to do the rock chucking trick <laughs> again. 
<laughs> so I pick up a rock and I chunk it. Well, and I see his ears move and I see his head turn and he heard it, but he didn't do anything. I'm like, okay. I'm waiting like five minutes probably between rock throws here because you don't want to freak him out. You just want to get him a little curious, right? And as I'm sitting there over the wind, I could hear him chewing his cut. I could hear chomp, chomp, chew, grind. I could hear his teeth grinding basically his cut. Wow. He's laying there in his bed. That's how close I was. Awesome. I could hear him breathe. I mean, I could hear him breathe literally over the wind. Wow. And so I'm trying to, like, throw these rocks, but I'm trying to not, like, move my arm to throw them because of the noise my sleeve would basically make, you know. So I'm just kind of trying to, like, wrist chuck them down the hill a little ways. (laughs) So I pick up another rock and I chuck it. Nothing. Well, I'll spare you guys all the details, but, like, I threw every rock within an arm reach radius of me trying to get this deer to stand up. And he just wasn't doing it. And so finally, I'm kneeling down there, and I'm like, well, i got to reach way over there to get a new rock. And that's, that's quite a ways. So I kind of start reaching way over there, and I grab a rock, and I'm about ready to chuck it again. And I'm looking over towards his bed, and I see just this little puff of dust come up out of his bed. And I'm like, I think he might have just stood up, you know. And so I'm kind of getting up on my knees, kind of trying to stretch up as high as I can. And I've got this bush kind of right in front of me, and he's in the dark shade, and I'm in the bright sun, and I've got this softball, well, it's bigger than softball, maybe a volleyball size hole in this brush going down into where he's standing now because he's gotten up. The problem is, is I'm looking at him, and I can't really tell if he's quartering to me or quartering away from me. But I can make out his back line, and he's standing with his with one set of his legs, I can't really tell if it's his front or his back legs, in this hole. So it's almost giving me the impression like I'm shooting kind of down out of a little bit of a tree stand at him, kind of down towards his back. I'm looking and I'm trying to figure out, am I looking at him quartering to me or quartering away from me? And this is all going down in a matter of seconds, you know what I mean? This buck is up now and things are going to come undone fast. I got I got to make a decision whether I'm going to shoot or not because I, I really can't wait. This is all going to come to a crashing stop soon. And so finally, I don't know if it was just the excitement or what, I, I made this decision. I'm like, he's quartering away from me. So if I hit him right there, which I thought was kind of right, right in front of his back hip, it'll be going down into his chest, basically. It'd have to go through some gut to get there, but it would get him in the chest. So there again, I said, shoot this arrow perfectly or don't shoot it at all. Load, anchor, transfer. There's my spot. Here I go. Rotate the feather touch. Poof, that arrow went flying right into there. And this is where everything gets weird. That deer came out of there completely backwards from where I thought he was. So he was quartering to me, and I had just shot him kind of behind the shoulder kind of down from above at a pretty steep angle going into him quartering. And he came tearing out of there, and a lot of my arrow was stuck out of him. I didn't get a whole lot of penetration because I'd hit him up in the top of the shoulder, basically, going down. But I saw a lot of blood coming out of him, 
he ran down off the hill where I couldn't see anymore. And my buddy Chris said he watched him come running out of there in the, in his uh, spot or his binos or spot and scope. I can't remember which. And he ran down next to a bush and Chris said he dropped his binos to get into a spot and scope to look to see exactly where I hit him and he couldn't find him anymore. And he's like, I don't know if the deer went down or if he walked away or what. So I'm sitting there just kind of like a wreck. I'm like, holy cow, I can't believe I just shot that deer. That thing is a monster. And um, so I picked up the phone and I called Chris and we talked it over and I said, I I tried to explain how I hit him. And like I said, you guys heard it. It's a little bit backwards. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Chris is looking at me like, wait, you didn't know whether he was cornering. How is that possible? And I'm like, trust me, man, it just happened. So I decided I was going to wait for an hour, and he was just going to wait for an hour. He was going to look across the canyon with his spot and scope and his binos and see if he could see this deer come out of this draw that he ran into. And from where I was at, I could see every escape route. If this deer came out of this draw, there was no way he could get out of there without Chris or I seeing this buck. So I'm standing there. As I'm standing there, I look down below me, and down in the bottom of the draw, there goes Jesus and his wife and his kid walking off. You know, they're walking. I'm like, well, that's awfully nice. You know? <laughs> so, so they're, they they didn't get in the way. I was able to shoot my buck. Everything was good. And uh, anyway, so I waited a little while, and I'm sitting up on this rock, just looking down into this draw. And I called Chris again on the cell phone. And I said, all right, well, I think I think we might want to go after him. It's probably been enough time. He said, well, let me just tell you where I last saw him. And he said, where are you at? And I stood up on this rock, and I'm waving my hands. He's like, oh, okay, I see it. He said, from where you're at, down below you, there's like this, I don't know, this bush with another green bush and a dead stick. But you, you know how it is. He's trying to describe something to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I see that. He said, he was just past that last I saw him. And I'm standing there with my naked eye and I'm looking and I'm like, I see a little speck of orange down there. I'm like, holy crap, I think I see my arrow. And I picked up my binos and I could see him just laying there with my arrow stuck out of him. I'm like, he, he's laying there dead. I see him. Nice. So I walked right down there to him and, and I got really lucky. I, I hit him just right through the top of the back, like I said, and, and I clipped that artery that goes right along his spine and he, he just lost all all oil pressure fast. I mean, basically immediately. He made it 100 yards and, and was done. So that worked out really cool. That was really great. And to help out even more, Chris came over and helped me pack it out. Perfect. Damn. I know. That's an awesome know, one, good. man. That's, a, that's an accomplishment, killing a, a buck of that size with a stick bow. That's tough. I've been working yeah. on it for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, I thought he was about 180, and Chris come over, and he, Chris is probably a little better at scoring deer than I am, and he's like, yeah, he's in the mid-170s probably, and I don't really care. I've never had him score. Yeah. And, I mean, know he's big. He, he's, <laughs> yeah, he, he's by far the biggest deer I've shot with a bow. So, yeah. And to shoot him at, at, you know, that kind of range, you That's know, it was, it was just pretty amazing. And then everything that went on, you know, those people walking past him, everything, it was just, it was wild. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of good, and, a lot of good lessons learned for guys that you know new to spot and stock hunting. If you're listening to this, 
obviously you've been doing it a long time. The the flagging tape for your shoes and pack and everything else, that's huge. I've spent a lot of hours also looking for stuff. <laughs> you think I'm yeah, gonna, oh, I can't, you stop and I remember I've, times before I've stopped and looked back and been like, okay, remember that bush, got it, and then I'm gone. <laughs> And then, oh, and then you yeah. come back and you're like, I thought it was that bush. No, I thought it was that bush. And then you're, yeah, you're you're a mile from your wherever, and you're like, I can't walk that far without shoes. This is going to be terrible. I had my nephew lost his shoes a couple years ago. I was kind of teaching him the spot and stock stuff, and then I ended up having to go back home for a few days. And he went up and was hunting with my dad. And yeah, he just he came back to the truck one day without his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've never lost them, but boy, I've sure misplaced them for a while. Yeah. And you're walking around and walking around, and I mean, your feet just feel like they're going to start bleeding at any second, you know. And you're like, this just sucks, and you're slipping all over the place because you know you're in your socks, and yeah. it's it's tough. But yeah. I have found that I mean, that is a stalking mule deer. That is key. I mean, yeah. you really got to do something about your footwear. On this that particular hunt that I just talked about, I didn't take my shoes off. I had, I was trying those bear's feet, those pullover uh, fleece yeah. things, and they were pretty good. Except, you know how you don't notice things until you're in real close on a deer. Yeah, I didn't notice that my boot creaked. Yeah, until I got very close to that deer the second time, yeah. and I'm like. That creek is the most annoying, loudest thing on the face of this planet, <laughs> you know. So I really should have taken my boots off, but I don't like rattlesnakes very much, and there's a lot of them around. And I don't I've, know, so I was I'm trying something else out. I've got baby feet, and I, I've tried those those bear's feet, and with some success, um, but they're not the same. I. I I actually went on my first barefooted stock this year and I was absolutely shocked on how much quieter it is simply because you're not popping stuff. You know, your, your feet just won't allow things to blow out from under your boots, even with the, all that fleece under them. Um, that's oh, yeah. been my, my experience for sure. Yeah. Yep, the, pro- the, problem with those, the problem with the bear's feet is, the wider footprint that I've had. I've only tried them a few times, but I end up maybe just cause I'm clumsy, but I end up stumbling through things cause my foot's, a, you know, by the time you got your boots and those bear's feet over, it's, it's way wider. You know, it's probably a couple inches wider than just having bare feet or moccasins. I love moccasins. I, I try to bring those with me if, you know, weight's not an issue and I don't want to go socks. I'll just throw in some moccasins yeah. and, and go that route just cause your foot, you know, a couple inches narrower, you end up just stumbling through a lot less stuff. But yeah. Yeah, those are those are definitely keys to the spot and stock thing, and the you know the compass. I mean, that's a great idea. I know a lot of guys will take pictures with their cell phone of the hill, and I I did that a little bit this year. Um, it's a lot less yeah, trad that... than anything else, but uh, I did that on a few stocks, and that seemed to help where I could kind of pull it up. But even then, it's it's like you don't take. You take the picture, but it's looking at it from a totally different vantage. It's still kind of, it's still tough, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, you've got a completely different aspect of the hill. Yeah, yeah. Everything is different. And and that that compass deal doesn't work every time. You kind of have to be in a position where you can get behind the deer somewhere, still have the wind in your advantage, and you have to really know where you glassed him from. Yeah. 
I, you know, I don't have to be able to say that tree over there is where I was sitting when I glassed this buck. And so you, you know, if, if it doesn't work out that way, you just can't use that trick. But when you can do it, it works out pretty slick because, you know, you know, all you have to do is stay on that line. That's the back azimuth of wherever your spotting position is to the deer. Right. Yeah. And so all you got to do is walk basically the opposite direction at 180 degrees and the deer is somewhere in that line. Yeah. So yeah. I've, I've done that one on a number of occasions and it's worked out pretty doggone good. You'd be surprised how accurate it really is. Yeah. I've I, got, lo- I love hearing little tricks. I know you're a pretty humble guy, but from, you can tell somebody that's done it a million times. The rock, the rocks, that's a tricky one. That's always <laughs> my dad, the, the first stock. I was in Hunt, Nevada. It was like 05, and I had stalked a buck. It was like a, it was a non-typical thing. It was a awesome looking buck. It wasn't real wide, but man, I don't know how many points he had. And I got, I mean, I got right in, like 10 yards. Same thing. He was in some heavy brush. I couldn't shoot, so I'm doing the rock trick. The wind's blowing, and finally he stands up, and I, I don't know what happened. I shot over him. <laughs> he ran off. I thought my arrow was going to be sticking out of him. He stopped down there. I'm like, what? I don't even know what happened. Anyway, long yeah, story you're just short. just looking at your bow like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, where's my arrow? You? It's not sticking out of it. Like, what happened? And he just stops down there, looks at me like 60 yards, like, what was that? I'm like, son of a gun, how did I miss? I still have no idea what happened. But anyway, my dad yeah. ends up later in the, I killed a buck, and then later in the season, my dad ends up going on the stock, and I, I'm up above him in these rock bluffs, and the buck's down there like 150 yards, and my dad is, he is not a stalking machine he is a diehard road hunter we can say right and so i'm t- i had to give him like direct go down slip down through these little aspens come around and get right there and and you'll be right on him okay and so i told him the rock he actually watched me do the rock trick from his spotting scope you know the week before and he gets over there i'm up above him he's sliding down winds blowing everything's good and he gets into like 30 yards of this buck and and he's got a compound and everything, you know, and, and he picks up this rock and as he picks it up, I'm like, Oh no. I mean, it's like a baseball size rock, <laughs> maybe a softball yeah, size, size of a grapefruit. <laughs> yes, it's huge. And I'm like, Oh, this isn't going to be good. He's got like an arrow knocked in one hand <laughs> and it's this giant rock that he's got to like wield like a pitcher, you know, boom, he hucks this thing. And then as the, as the rocks in midair coasting, he grabs his bow and he draws it to the sky, you know, like, choo, he's all ready. And as soon as that rock hit the ground, I mean, the deer jumped 30 feet in one bound out of his bed and was gone. <laughs> and my dad just you're, standing there. Oh, yeah. And he comes back up and he goes, I'll never forget. He just looked at me and he goes, I guess I threw too big of a rock and I, I was so angry, but we couldn't help. We just stood up on top of that ridge and just laughed our asses off. And I'm like, yeah, I think you did. Anyway, long story short, that buck came back the next day and bedded in that same bed. And my dad snuck up there and killed him. But anyway, nice. So, and so the, the rock trick, those are, those are key little, little additions to the story that you guys that are, Spot and stock hunting, you need to pay attention because that, that's huge. And then another thing is the wind. Waiting for the afternoon. Oh, yeah. It's so hard to do. It's well, hot. You're out in the desert, like you said, like a piece of beef jerky. But waiting until noon or after when those desert breezes stay steady, that's a mistake I've made more than once to where the patience just waiting is key. Well, 
I, what I take yeah. away from this, I have limited, uh, you know, I've done some spot stuff, mule deer hunting. And what I take away from your story and some of Bob's stories and some of my uh, failures is having faith, having faith that even if you haven't seen him for hours, that he's going to be there. Because, yeah, man, I have moved in on him. And then I start going, well, he ain't there, he ain't there. And then instead of, like, waiting it out or throwing a rock, I basically give up. And then he runs off. And I'm like, oh, I was so close. And I think that you oh, got to yeah. have faith that they're there. Yeah, and that's where hunting with a buddy really helps out sometimes. Because if one of you is just sitting there on the glass, and now in this this instance, Chris was 1500 yards away from me. I couldn't, I couldn't see him, but you know, it just, just knowing that, that he's there watching and he would have gotten a hold of me in some way had that buck gotten, gotten, I mean, somehow he would have gotten a hold of me had that yeah. buck gotten up and just ran off. Right. But even then it, 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 one time I was watching Chris stalk a buck and I, I let him stalk in on an empty bed. I was like, well, yeah, that deer's still there. That deer's still there. He snuck in on it. I don't know when the deer got up and left, but I made him Whoops. waste a whole day sneaking up on this empty bed. <laughs> so, yeah, that so happens happen, too, I know. guess. Yeah. And, and the other part of the wind is, it's not only just waiting until it, it solidifies, but, or, you know, it stabilizes in terms of direction, but wind is your friend. I mean, oh, yeah. if it's, if it's rattling, the mule's ear and it's rattling the vegetation and everything else. It, it really helps you versus hurts you. You know, I mean, stock it, be honest with you. I mean, if I could find a single buck bedded by himself with a stable wind every year, I mean, yeah. I'm in the money. Yeah. I, yeah. I can get close to those deer. You know, it's, it's when you find seven or eight or 10 bucks that are all grouped together, bedded somewhere. That's what makes it really tough. I mean, Spotting the spoilers and, and keeping from bumping into a spoiler, that's what usually screws me up. Yeah. That, a, and then I highly recommend not getting six or seven yards away from a deer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that is not the, I didn't, I, I, I kind of did it before I realized, holy crap, I'm that close. I mean, I almost can't help myself and I know better because just in 2017, I snuck up to 10 yards of a really big deer. You know, and I know better. It's like you post up and wait for him to stand up and then shoot him. Yeah. You know, get 20 yards. Get a good shooting lane at 20 yards. And if you can wait him out, wait him out. If not, start chucking rocks, you know. Yeah. But anyways, those are the things that that really kind of screw me up. And then the other part is, and I don't mean to turn this into a commercial for Tom Clum and Joel Turner, but the thing that I – I've missed a pile of deer in the last few years. And finally, I just got mad enough to go to this shooting clinic. And it has really helped, especially Joel's stuff, shooting under pressure. I know to talk to myself. I know what to say to myself. I'm making decisions, and I'm, I'm executing good shots. Yeah, you know, that's... like I missed one, but it was a controlled arrow, right? Yeah, that's You're not going to hit everything, but if I can control my stuff when i am got a huge deer standing there, I'm going to be far more successful than not. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Joel Turner, as I call him, the Oracle, he definitely helped uh, shake some of the demons that were hiding out between my ears. Um, it's very helpful, definitely. 
Yeah. Oh, See, yeah. I, I'm and I, lucky. I've still got I, plenty of demons, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky. I don't even know what the hell you guys are talking about when you talk about all that stuff. Uh, just because I'm lucky. And I don't, I, I make sure I am not going to ever bad talk a person for doing all that stuff. I mean, I might joke around, but I may be there someday, but just knock on wood. I'm, I, I don't know what the do hell you, you guys are talking about, but if it works, that's awesome. But do you find <laughs> that sounded that, really confusing to me when you were explaining all that stuff? I'm like, what? What the heck? Is that? I mean, basically, you're just, <laughs> it, it's a lot of people do do it anyways naturally you're just talking to yourself uh giving yourself uh a direction like hey man i'm not gonna screw this up get your I'm shit gonna together get your shit together I'm, I'm gonna hit anchor this time i'm gonna i'm gonna fall it's just it's just the neurologic programming i mean you're just walking yourself through it versus me stop breathing stop thinking and blunder <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Shoot. That's, that's Shoot. Oh God, it's gonna get away. Shoot. Yeah, yeah. So it's next thing slowly, you know, you it's, fired one off and it hit like three feet from where it should go. You're like, how's it, that it, possible? And for me, what I took away the most from Joel was just what he calls combat breathing, just getting oxygen to your brain oh, yeah. by by breathing and and walking your and then talking yourself to the situation. I mean, that's really, in a nutshell, what it is. And what I took from it, it has helped me a ton. Now, you know, the, the last, uh, uh, few critters that I have killed, I was totally conscious for it all instead of like this blackout thing. So yeah, yeah it, it makes a big and, difference just breathing and talking yourself through the shot. Yeah. And I, I never like blacked out or anything like that, but try, I mean, not, breathing. try not breathing. Yeah. Yeah. That'll do it. But, but I, I would get in this big, enormous rush. It was like, you know, there was, there was just this huge rush at the end to get the shot done. And that usually didn't work well, you know, or I, it, it's weird because it would work well in situations where like I would have, I, I shot the biggest bull elk in my life. He was walking through about a three foot gap in the trees at 17 yards. Right. So it's not a very far shot, but he was, he was walking and just timing everything and drawing back and anchoring and shooting, I was able to time it to where I hit him perfectly as he was walking through this fairly narrow gap in the trees, right? It would work well in situations like that. But then I would, I complete, I don't even know how many deer I've missed. Like I said, standing well within 20 yards. Oh yeah. Me too. I, I mean, completely miss. It's like one of them I almost hit in the head at like 15. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I missed. Uh, yeah, hit I missed. Him in the uh, head at 15 yards, you know. It's like I was aiming for your chest. Well, I oh. I missed a anyway, uh, really Roosevelt. Hurt. I missed a Roosevelt bull at 10 yards. Uh, that was probably a thousand pound animal. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Trust me. One time missed an Alaskan brown bear at like nine. I'm not sure how that's possible, but I did it. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's awesome that those guys are, are doing those courses and not, like I said, not to do a commercial, but the, the push guys have all that stuff on their website. Go check that stuff out. And I think they're doing another immersion clinic or something I saw on the Instagram coming up. So if you guys are fighting the demons, call and go down there. It sounds like it's super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be honest with you, I'd love to go back. I mean, it, it was just a blast to get to hang out with some cool dudes. It was, it was fun. It was, it's well worth the money. I would pay again to go back. Yeah. That's awesome. So 
Not so, only, you know, yeah. let's after you killed the giant mule deer, then not what was it a week later you had your Wyoming moose tag. Yeah, I uh I started putting in for preference points for Wyoming when they came out with the preference point system and I don't remember exactly what year that was, but um I ended up with like 18 or 19 preference points. And being a non-resident applying for points, it's it's pretty expensive deal. You know, it's it's an expensive game to play because it's like 150 bucks a point a year. And I've got the maximum number of sheep points, not the maximum number of sheep points. I'm sorry, I don't have that many, but I've got like 19 or 20 sheep points, and I had these moose points. So I was paying almost 300 bucks a year in just points. And so I was like, I need to I need to eventually get this moose tag you know, and, and, and get, get that done. So I decided that this was going to be the year and I looked around at some different areas in Wyoming. I didn't quite have enough points to get one of the real trophy areas like down in the snowies or up in the bighorns. Um, but some of the areas in Western Wyoming, I definitely had enough points for, and I'm not really much of a trophy hunter anyways. I mean, I'm an opportunity kind of guy, right? In fact, I'm, I mean, for me, the, the, the true trophy is in the experience. You know, I mean, that's that's why I do it. It's not to feed my family or anything like that. It's for the it's for the experience of going hunting. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I I looked at some areas and I was like, okay, I picked out which one I was going to apply for, and drew the tag. So I went up a couple times in the summertime, met up with my dad. He still lives in Wyoming, and um, went camping and scouting. We saw a lot of moose. You know, and on, I think it was my first scouting trip up there, dad, dad pulled his fifth wheel up there and his, the turbo went out in his fifth wheel or in his diesel and he had to pull in and drop his trailer in a spot that there was this gigantic sign that said no camping. (laughs) So, So we were hanging out camping in the spot that we weren't supposed to be hanging out camping in. And we were hanging out in camp one day, and the game warden came by, and I flagged him down and kind of explained the situation. I'm like, look, we know we're not supposed to be here, but Dad's truck's in town getting fixed. And and uh, anyways, I started talking to him. I said, so, you know, I've got a moose tag up here, and if, if you've got some time, I'd like to talk with you about it. And he's like, well, heck, it's almost my lunch break. Let me, let me grab my lunch, and you mind if I sit down? We can talk i got a map right here and i'm like well heck no man come on you know so the game warden gets out of his truck comes over and sits down and whips out a map and starts pointing out spots and saying yeah i have to hunt over here and over here and there's always some moose over in here and you know all this stuff he's just dropping like major info on me nice. and i'm like dude's the man i mean i was like this is this is great you know and he told me about uh, a spot where you could you could see. He said it's a really good glassing point. You kind of drive up, and you can get up above a creek that's got a huge willow bottom going down through it. And then if you turn around and look up on the mountain behind you, there was an old burn that went through there. And he said there's a bunch of really good grub up in that burn. And he said, you'll see deer and elk and moose and bears and cougars, oh my, up in that burn. He <laughs> said, you'll see critters up there. And I was like, all right, cool, you know. So 
dad and I drove over there and checked it out. And it was just like you said, it was, it was awesome. So I said, I think this is where I'm going to be come opening morning, you know, and the season started September 1st, but I, I had some work commitments I had to take care of. And so I, I planned on taking the 15th through the 30th off. I was going to go for two weeks because it's essentially a once in a lifetime tag. I mean, I'm, I'm not rich enough to do this hunt very often. Yeah. So I, uh, headed up there and met up with my dad and my brother came along and then a friend of mine from town, Cody and Chris came, but they weren't there at the same time. They, they had different schedules. And so I had a good bit of help, you know? So the first morning we were up there, it was, I think it's September 16th. Um, we got up really early and drive over to that, that little glassing knob and there was some private land around, but where we were at was public and it was BLM mixed BLM forest service. And then a little bit of private kind of around. And so, you know, you had to kind of know where you were at. So I bought that Onyx map thing for my phone, which I'm not really a technological kind of guy. I, you know, I'm like, well, this will keep me out of trouble is the way I was yeah. looking at it. It'll keep me off the pub, private land, you know? And so anyways, we went up there, me and my brother and Cody went up there and, and as the sun was coming up, we were glassing and they were, they had their spotting scopes up on the mountain behind me. And I was looking down in the willow bottom. And if you went down and across the willow bottom, the other side, it looked more like mule deer country. It's just like sagebrush and some, there was a big mahogany ridge up there and there were little aspen pockets and stuff like that. But it, it's, it's not something that you just think screened moose habitat, right? Well, next thing you know, I'm looking around out in the sagebrush up on this other side and I spotted like 15 moose up in there. I mean, they were everywhere. They weren't down in the willows. They were up on this mule deer side hill, basically. And we're looking, in, and we spotted one really big bull, a really nice bull. And he's kind of – he had this really cool uh, double brow tine off on one side, and then one of his points off of his right palm was split. So he's he was a pretty unique bull, and he was wide. He's, I thought he was pushing 40 inches wide. And just – a bull I would like to kill, you know, and there were other bulls up there and some cows and stuff and kind of looked at him and he, he was, we're just sitting there watching him. I didn't know, I didn't really know how to hunt moose. I'm kind of thinking, well, if they're up there on this mule deer side hill, I don't hunt them like mule deer. I mean, I'm going to wait till they bed down and I'm going to go sneak in on him and shoot him. Right. So we waited for a while and they started to bed down. Now, as we were watching them, this bull there was bull. There were two bulls: a big, the big bull, a smaller bull, and then a cow. And this, this big bull was awfully proud of his cow. He really liked this old cow. He's just following her around everywhere. And that little bull would kind of start coming in, and that big bull kind of turn and almost like bluff charge him or swing his head at him, and the little bull would kind of run off 10, 15 yards. They were kind of acting a little bit ruddy, but they were all still kind of friends. I mean, they weren't trying to kill each other. So we watched him for a while, 
and he, him and his girlfriend bedded down up on this mahogany ridge, kind of in some aspens. And I was like, well, why don't we go try to get him? So me and my brother dropped off this hill we were on, went down, went across this willow flat, which these willows aren't like waist high. I mean, they're like 12 to 15 feet tall. I mean, these are willows now. I mean, they're thick. So we're trying to force our way through them, and it just sucked getting through them. We made a bunch of racket and stuff, but we figured out a good way to get down through the willows and cross the creek and up the other side. And as we're coming up the other side, for some reason, I don't know if these moose hurt us or what, but that cow got up and just started heading down the hill, kind of in our direction, not directly towards us, though, towards this big willow flat. And sure enough, here come the big bull and the small bull just kind of following along behind her. That big bull would stop every now and then and just thrash sagebrush. I mean, he was just tearing up stuff. And, and they got down towards the willows where they couldn't see us. Me and my brother jumped up, ran down. It was maybe 300 yards or so. Ran down 300 yards to where they'd gone into the willows. And we set up and we're like, well, I don't know what to do here. We can't see into the willows. There's no way we can stalk into the willows. So let's try to call him. Maybe maybe we can call him out of the willows, you know. So my brother started calling, you know, doing bull grunts and cow moans. And we, we have no idea what we're doing. I mean, we're just kind of making noise, right? <laughs> and he's got, he's got a boat paddle that he carried with him, a little sawed-off boat paddle. So he's taking that boat paddle and raking brush. I mean, you know, this is crap you've seen on TV, right? <laughs> So we're, we're, we're raking brush and stuff and, and nothing. I mean, we don't hear nothing. We don't see anything. I mean, nothing. We're like, well, maybe they're way off into this sea of willows. Let's, let's go up on the hill a little ways and see if we can see where they're at. Well, we walk up the hill and I turn around and I look and that big bull is standing. I can just see his antlers. He's standing like 15 yards in front of where we were at calling the entire time. We just couldn't see him. I'm like, dang, man, that's just kind of a bummer. So they they moved off, and we we gave up on them for the day, went back, looked for more moose that afternoon. We saw a bunch of little bulls and stuff, but by far this was the biggest bull that we'd seen. So the next morning, we went back over there. So this is like the 17th. And, you know, sunrise come up, and we're looking around. We spotted I don't know, 13, 14 moose over on this hill again. And sure enough, that big bull was up in this little aspen pocket, and he had a cow and a calf and that, that same little bull with him. So he'd upgraded to a cow and a calf instead of just a cow from the day before. So we're watching them. And now, knowing what happened yesterday when they got up about the time you'd go stalk a mule deer and walked off into the willows, I'm thinking, and it, it was hot. I mean, it was hot and dry. I'm thinking, well, maybe they're going to move off down into the willows to bed for the day. Maybe that's just the way they do it. So maybe I should go after them early, you know. So me and my buddy Cody, we dropped down off the ridge shortly after daylight, went across the willow flat again, got up above there and worked up above the uh, willow patch that they were in. And this is kind of like a series of hogback ridges right in here. You know, there's it's just these little hogbacks, and they're all real linear, and, and they've got these little ridges and draws, kind of just really like a 
waves almost, rolling waves. And they'd have aspens in, in the draws and then rocks on the edges, you know, and stuff. Well, they were in one of these patches. So Cody and I got up above them and kind of started moving off towards them. And we were getting in there and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure this is the right aspen patch. You know, everything that goes through your mind while you're pulling a sneak on them. And all of a sudden I kind of looked down and sure enough, I can see that bull, the big bull. He's just doing what he's doing down in this aspen patch. And I'm like, okay, at least I can know where they are. And they're like maybe 70, 80 yards. So I'm like, all right, what I'm going to do, I told Cody, I'm like, you just stay here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get down in this little draw and I'm just going to work right down to them. And, you know, basically just still hunt slash stock into them. So I get down there and I, I took my boots off and gave them to Cody and my pack so he could keep track of them this time. And I started working down there. And I got maybe 40 yards from them. And I couldn't see them all the time. I could see them periodically here and there. But I could hear that bull, the bull down in there just grunting. He was walking around. Oh, oh, and he would stop and tear up some brush. And I could hear him raking his antlers. And all of a sudden, I'd hear crashing. And he was chasing off that other bull. And, you know, then I'd hear a cow moan and, you know, all this, it was just really cool, you know, but I couldn't really see these moose very often. So I'm kind of getting, like I said, 40 yards from where I last saw him or so. And I could hear him down there. I knew they were there. I was getting pretty close. And all of a sudden I look up on the hill and that cow is standing there at like, I don't know, 35 yards or so looking at me. And I'm like, well, that's really a bummer. I mean, She's going to run off, and all the bulls are going to go, and that's just going to suck. So I just kind of hunker down, and I don't move, and she's eyeballing me and eyeballing me. She sits there and eyeballs me for about five minutes or so, and then she turns, and she just kind of walks off towards Cody up behind me. And I'm thinking, well, this may be really good because that bull is proud of his cow, you know, and here soon he's going to start wondering where she's at. So if I just kind of get to where I've got a good shooting lane up towards where she just left and that bull comes looking for her, I'm going to kill him. So I do that. I get kind of set up to where, you know, I can, I have a couple of good shooting lanes and sure enough, I know I just got set up and here come that bull walking up the hill, grunting. He's walking kind of, kind of diagonally towards where that cow was to me. And he gets it about 30 yards and just lays down. And I'm like, ah, all you had to do was come find your gal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he's bedded there. And I'm thinking, I can't see him. I can't even see his antlers, but I know exactly where he is. So why don't I just scoot down another 10 yards or so? Uh, that way when he gets up, I'll be ready and I'm going to shoot him. So I moved down about another 10 yards and I'm just kind of waiting. And all of a sudden the wind just totally switched. You know how his morning thermals are. I mean, wind just totally switched and he didn't even look, man. I mean, he just jumped up and ran out about 40 yards down in the brush below me and stopped and looked around. And I'm like, Oh, 
crap, that was a really good opportunity. I had him three quarters dead, you know. <laughs> and and so all of a sudden I, I, I could hear him kind of moving off, and I don't know where the cow went, but, you know, these guys kind of headed up, up the mountain off to my right. And I'm like, okay, well, let me go back and regroup and see if I can see him again. So Cody and I went the last round for him, and we didn't see him. So I thought, well, let me just head back to the truck. And my brother, Derek, I'm sure he's probably got him in the spot and scope, and maybe we can put something on him again. So we come off the mountain, cross the well flat, came up to where we're parked at. And I come up there, and my brother does have him in the spot and scope, and they're right on top of this uh, mahogany ridge. And they were working right along it. And all of a sudden, they just dropped off the far side of the mahogany ridge. Now, in the process, somehow they picked up a third bull. So now there's three bulls, big bull, two little bulls, a cow and a calf. And they walked off the backside of this mountain, basically. So we're sitting there kind of talking about it. And all of a sudden, this old rancher pulls up. He drives his horse trailer up on this hill. And the guy's name was Ty, cowboy. Pretty cool dude. We're talking to him, and apparently he owned a bunch of private land kind of around there. And I said, "Oh, you know, you're with this ranch." And he's like, "Yeah, we own it." And and just you know, I I'm showing him on the phone. I'm like, "Oh, okay, so this is yours, and this is yours over here." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "Well, I'll tell you what." He goes, "As long as you guys don't drive anywhere, if you if you kill a moose down in there, and you need to cross private land or anything like that, knock yourself out. Just just you know, just don't go." just don't drive off the roads or anything. And we're like, yeah, no problem. No problem. So he was a pretty cool guy. And he told us as we, you know, we're like sitting there watching this moose go up over the ridge. As he pulled up. And it was funny. He pulled up and he goes, what are you guys up to? And we're like, oh, moose hunting. And he goes, you seen that great big bull that's been down in this bottom all summer? <laughs> <laughs> well, he knew all about this bull, right? Anyhow, he, he was a pretty cool dude. We told him, yeah, tried to stalk him a couple of times. He just went over the ridge and he's like, there's this little old road that goes up there and you can access it. And he showed us how to basically get on this little road. We're like, okay, cool. Well, we might try that, you know, tomorrow. So we went back to camp and looked for some other moose that night and just figured we'd give these guys rest, you know? So the next morning, which would be the 18th, we went out there and we looked again and we saw, I don't know, 10, moose a bunch but we didn't see the big bull the cow and the calf and those two little bulls they were still gone and so we're like well they must be over that ridge somewhere on the back side of that that mountain there so just like ty had said we'd come up and around got on a road circled around back there and it took a long time i mean this is a little two-track road that you know we're in chris's little um, Toyota pickup truck and it because it goes over these roads a lot better than my, my three quarter ton truck does and it, it just took forever to get back there but once we got back there you were up on this hog back and it was really just like mule deer country just pockets of aspens you know lots of sagebrush flat or lots of sagebrush ridges and stuff it's just not stuff you that screams mule or uh, moose so anyways, we're working along and we'd stop and we'd walk out on these hogbacks to glass down below us and glass in these aspen pockets and stuff. And we're not seeing anything. We keep going and going. 
And finally, I looked down below me, and just like a big old fat hawk laying out in the sun, man, I see this big old moose just stretched out in the sun. I'm like, bingo, there they are. And I saw one of the little bulls, but I, I, we were a long ways off, you know, and I didn't have my spot scope with us because we were kind of walking. And through my binos, I'm, I was sure I'd seen a big antler flash down in some down in an aspen thicket. I'm like, that's got to be those moose. You know, it just has to be. There's only so many places they can go back here, you know. And so we got, went back to the truck and drove around a little closer and worked out on, and then we walked out onto this hogback to where we were right above them, basically. And we sat there and looked and looked, and we could see this one moose. He was just sprawled out in the sun, you know. But we couldn't see any of the other ones, you know. We were looking and looking, and finally we picked out like a cow and a calf. And we were, I, I walked all the way out to the edge of this hogback ridge, you know, just stopping every, I don't know, 40 yards and peeking over the top of it and looking down at him, just trying to get a different angle on the hill to see where I could see if I could find that big bull. And I never did. And finally, I was like, that's got to be them. If I just sneak in on them, you know, something will happen. I mean, I'll get down there and I'll see them. I mean, it's a moose, for God's sake, right? They're big. <laughs> so... So my buddy Chris, Cody had to leave that morning, so he left, and my buddy Chris showed up. So Chris and I went down there, and my brother hung out on that hogback ridge with the spot scope. And he said we hadn't been gone for like 10 minutes, and he looked down, and he's like, oh, there's that big bull. There's, you know, he's like, how did we not see him? I'm sure, I'm sure he'd moved into a new position. But anyways, so my brother knew this big bull was in there, and my brother and Chris had radios, so I didn't I, – I had one, but it was in my pocket turned off by the time I started the stock and everything. But So those two knew this big bull was in there, and I basically didn't know until later on in the game. But I, I thought, well, I'm going to circle up on this ridge and get down and kind of, you know, move in close and everything. So I started doing that, and it was the same deal, you know, just like stalking mule deer just kind of moving slow and taking my time and moving when the wind was blowing and everything. And I got right above these Aspen, these Aspens and they were thick, you know, there were those small little Aspens that you can't really see very good through. And there was a spring down in there. And so there were some willows intermixed and stuff. It's pretty thick. And I'm starting to kind of still hunt down through these willows. And I'm thinking I have to be right here. I mean, I got to be right on top of these moose, you know, and I'm moving along and everything's going really good. And all of a sudden I kind of, I kind of stumbled and made some noise and I heard something get up and it was close. I mean, I don't know how close, but it was close. And then all of a sudden I heard it kind of crash off and I was like, that has to be one of these moose. And it turned out that it was the big bull. I didn't know this until later, but my brother told me that that was the big bull. And my brother couldn't see me. He didn't know where I was at, but I was well within 10 yards of this moose. Because as he was moving off, I kind of followed over to where he was at. I found an enormous moose bed, and I squatted down in that, and I was sitting there watching this moose. And he ran up with a little bull. And then I looked down in the bottom and I could see the cow and the calf. So now I got two of the little bull or the big bull, a little bull and a cow and a calf 
And I'm sitting there and I'm like, let me check with my brother and see what's going on. So I got off the radio and I'm like, so obviously I screwed this up, but you know, they're not going anywhere. And my brother's like, where are you at? And I kind of, you know, I waved at him so he could see me. And I said, is this where that bull was bedded? He said, oh, no, he's much closer to where you were at than that. So I was within 10 yards of this bull, easy. Anyways, so I said, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of see what happens from here. So I turned the radio off, put it in my pocket. I'm waiting. I don't know how you guys feel about radios, but uh, I'm kind of, I don't know. Most of the time it just gets in the way and aggravates me. But in instances like that, I'm kind of like, well, I don't mind. Just like the cell phone I used with Chris, right? It's yeah. kind of handy when I ran into people to figure out what was going on. I generally don't use it on a stock like use it on a stock. But So anyways, I put it in my pocket, and I'm watching. And these, the, bull, the two bulls walk down um, towards this willow bottom. Now, this wasn't a real bad willow bottom. It was... It was maybe 30 yards across or so. And I kind of started skirting at those willows and I got down in there and I, I looked and I could see the third bull out farther in front of me. So now I've got all the moose counted for. The cow and the calf are down in the willows and I could hear them crashing around. And then I saw him and I saw a little bull with the cow and the calf. I knew the bull had gone in there, the big bull I wanted had gone in there, but I couldn't see him. Now, this little bull was standing up behind the cow who was cow moaning, and I could watch her. I was watching her with my binos. She'd open her mouth, and I'd see that bull grunt, he'd lip curl, and all this stuff. And I'm like, that big bull is not going to tolerate this for very long. I'm like, so if I can get across these willows, get on that other side of the side from here, and just work down along the edge of those willows, I might have a chance. So... I looked, and I found a spot where I could get across the willows pretty easy, and I jumped across this little ditch to get across there. And there was a cow path that went along those willows, so I was kind of easing down the cow path, and periodically I could hear the loose, you know, crash, crash in the willows. I'm like, all right, well, the wind's working for me, and it was pretty windy. And I got, I don't know, maybe 30 yards from where I thought those moose were at, and all of a sudden, I just saw his antlers in the willows in front of me. And I'm like, oh, this might work. He had no idea I was around. He's just kind of standing there looking. I think he just ran off that little bull. And I'm thinking, okay, when he puts his head where I can't see his head again, I'm just going to kind of work down this cow path as fast as I can and close the distance, you know. So he did, what he did was he turned away from me and took a few steps, and I just kind of started hot footing down this cow path as fast as I could. And I got to about, I don't know, I covered another probably 15 or 20 yards. And now I'm like exactly parallel or perpendicular, I guess, to where this cow and calf and little bull are at in the willows. They're just off to my left and this bull is in front of me. And he turned he walked straight away from me for a few steps and then he stood there he was looking down the draw and i was up above him he looked for a few minutes and then he turned broadside to me took a couple of steps completely out of the willows broadside just as big as you please turned and looked back down the draw away from me 
that, and he's 30 yards away from me. So I'm like, okay, Hugh, this is it. Don't screw it up, you know. So I stand completely up, and I tell myself, shoot this arrow perfectly or don't shoot it at all. I loaded, anchored, transferred into holding. I said, there's my spot. Here I go, and poof, that arrow was gone. I didn't even get to rotate. That arrow come out of my bow, and it, like, got, I don't know, 10 or 15 feet out of the bow, and my mind just screamed, money, that's money. Oh, my God, it's money. And it just sailed out perfect arc, just plunk, right down into his heart. Oh, I mean, oh. perfect. It, it, I, I hit maybe two or three inches lower than I wanted to. I mean, it was just, it was a thing of beauty. It's just this orange arc of arrow going out across space and chunk right into this black moose. And he turned and he turned and he ran straight away from me. And I could see a good bit about, about half my arrow stuck out of him. So I was a little bit nervous about penetration, but where I hit him, I was like, you don't need a whole lot of penetration where I hit him. And he turned and he ran and he got about, 50 yards and he stopped and that big butt end started kind of getting heavy and doing the wobble and all of a sudden he just went crash just over on his side in the willows Uh, and all of a sudden just like 10 yards away from me to my left it was pandemonium in the willows there was just crashing and stuff happening because those other moose i snuck right on top of 10 yards away and you know they just started running so I kind of turned and hightailed it out into the sagebrush because I didn't want to get trampled by a cow that was in heat. I ran out into the sagebrush and got out the radio and started telling everybody that I just killed this moose and it was awesome and it was great. <laughs> what was really cool? What was really cool is my brother said he was looking in his spotting scope at this moose from the ridge line above and he said, "Oh, that's perfect." I just Tom just if he was right there and he said all of a sudden from the curvature of the hill he said he saw me stand up. So he's like got the moose and me in the same sight picture in his in his uh, spotting scope. He said he saw me stand up, draw my bow, shoot. He said he saw that arrow just arc right into him and everything from above. He said it was really cool, really cool. Nice. Oh. So, yeah, it was sweet. I mean, that moose was on his feet for maybe ten seconds after I shot him, and he was done. So yeah, it was it was cool. So I was really excited about that. Yeah. Did you uh, did you hit a rib? You said you only got half penetration. Did you end up hitting a rib? Yeah, the the wind was blowing pretty good, and so I do remember my arrow kicking a little bit. But I'm I'm pretty sure that was just you know a little bit of wind. Yeah. And yes, I hit a rib going in and a rib coming out, and oh. I parked it. I parked it. The only thing that kept it from going all the way through was his hide on the offside. I made it entirely through his chest cavity. Nice. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it was it was it was as perfect of a shot as you could. It was just perfect. Everything <laughs> about that mm. shot was just perfect. And I mean, he's he's a big bull too. I, I like there again. I've never scored him. I I don't I don't know, but he's thirty eight inches wide. Um, he he's a good bull, and I I was just tickled to death. I mean, so we walk up on him, and you know he's laying there in this position with his head kind of pointed up at the sky his racks buried up underneath him and you know it's like me and chris my brother's still up in the up, up on the ridge and so we radioed him and we're like 
hey, you know, take the truck and try to see if you can get down off that ridge and then um, bring us the axe when you come. Because there was no way I couldn't, I mean, you can't pick his head up and really move it around, you know. <laughs> and and his horns were all tangled up in a big ball of uh, willows, you know. So it was like you couldn't do anything with it. We had to cut these willows out of the way. And so, you know, we're hanging out and me and Chris are just giddy, happy, you know, and my brother shows up with this ax and, and Chris is, took his ax and he starts to get to work on it. And he goes over there and starts whacking away at this willow that my moose horns are tangled up in. And wouldn't you know it, if he just smacks this horn, he's hacking <laughs> away and goes, smack! I'm like... What, is, what are you doing, man? And he just puts his head down, and he just hands me the axe. He's like, here, just take this away. <laughs> down there chopping horns was, off your moose. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, he took a big hunk out of my moose horn. I'm like, seriously, man? So That's anyway, what buddies are for. Funny, but, oh, yeah. No, it was, it was great because, you know, I mean, you realize what big is. I mean, I've been in on quite a number of elk that, have been dead you know and you're looking at them and you're like oh they're, they're pretty big but this moose was a whole different thing you know i mean it was it was real big and it was just a shiris i mean it wasn't like a big alaskan yukon or anything but it was probably easily a thousand twelve hundred pounds you know i don't know exactly what it weighed but you know we started working on it and between my brother me and chris we've we've field processed lots of elk and so it was really cool because we all knew we all knew what needed to be done, you know. Yeah. And so we we were able to get that moose entirely boned out, except for the front shoulders. We took those out whole, and packed back to the truck in like three hours. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the the cool part was my brother could get down off that ridge in the truck, and he he went on to Ty's property a little ways. Like you said, we could. There was a little road that went out there, maybe by like. 500 feet at the most and from where we were at we had like a 20 foot climb out of this little bottom and then it was just a nice steady downhill cow path ridden little little just plank down down to the truck that was a half mile so it was about the easiest pack out i've ever had (laughs) it it took us three trips you know we we cut it up into uh, eight bags and then the head. So we each had three trips, but like I said, it took us like three hours, maybe four hours to get it totally back to the truck and squared away and back home, back to, back to camp anyway. That's so awesome. that was really sweet. Yeah, that was cool. Cause it could have worked out a lot worse. I mean, you hear these horror stories of moose dying in beaver ponds and yeah, you know, they, they could die in a heck of a lot worse places than he did. So it it was a good good deal. That is so awesome. I'm sure this is not helping you at all, Bob. Um, oh, I've me and moose on the brain lately. We're talking. Yeah, yeah. I, scheming. Yeah, I, I was thinking about you. I was like, yeah, me and Bob are always talking, and I know this week Bob's had moose on the brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and you know what's even better? You know what moose tastes like? Uh, I've heard it tastes good. like. I've, I've had a little bit, but oh, it tastes like victory. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. 
a lot really, of victory too. A lot of victory. It's really good. My my stepdad got a Canadian moose and an Alaskan moose, and I got to eat a bunch of moose meat. Man, moose is good. Oh yeah, yeah. So far, that's my my all time favorite right there. It's it's yummy. Yeah, heck yeah. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. gonna be a it's gonna be a hard year to top next year. That's for sure. Yeah, I know. I know. It's gonna be really rough. <laughs> but you'll kill it. Yeah. Hopefully I get an elk tag in Wyoming yeah. and I can go back there and go elk hunting. Is um, that a state that brother, has no elk in it, you were saying? Well, I'll go back there and yeah, there's no elk there. I'll go and camp and <laughs> yeah. camp for hikes and Bow hikes. Well yeah. Well and and then so my dad is seventy five and he still goes bow hunting every year by himself. Awesome. Yeah, dude's awesome, right? Um, he, he's threatened this year is his last year though. He's like, I, I'm just getting too old. He's like, I can't take care of it. You know, I just can't, if I kill an elk, even if it's close to the road and he's become an expert at shooting a small elk close to the road. (laughs) He's good at it. That's a, that's a skill. That's definitely a skill. That's an important. Important skills. I mean, you want to talk about a, a very precision movement, killing yearling cows 200, well, less than 200 yards from the road. It's like one year he sent me a picture and he's like dressing out as elk and he turns around and it's like the road is right. I mean, <laughs> it's right there. I should, yeah. I called in a spike one time he shot and it was like 80 yards from where we could get the truck on a road. I mean, I was like, seriously, man, this never happens to me. Yeah. I was but, uh, um, I was out elk hunting one time, and uh, I ran into this old timer, and he said, "Hey boy, you looking for a, a big bull?" And I looked at him like, "Like what is this guy knucklehead?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, who's not looking for a big bull?" And he goes, "Well, I got one for you." He tells me, "Go down this road and go down this landing and look down in that nasty hole way down there at the bottom by the river. There's a herd down there with the giant bull." And I I said, "Well." Why aren't you going after him? He goes, man, I'm looking for an easy elk. That's <laughs> it. That's it. And, and he was you, a lion. I, I drove down there and I hiked down this ridge. I looked down and sure enough, we, way down in the canyon, there was a big bull. He was a lion. <laughs> oh, man. That's just awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and, yeah, and so dad was out there with us and he, was, he had an elk tag. So, like, the next day... I'm pretty sure it was the next day. We, no, the next day I took the meat to a meat locker and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, a couple of days later, went out with Dad. First bugle I heard, called in a little raghorn. I think it was a little raghorn, five points, like 15 yards in front of Dad. And I'm like, shoot that sucker, man. Shoot him. And, and Dad, just he didn't hear him coming. He didn't see him until it was too late. I, I mean... But had Dad been at the ripe old age of seventy, I'm pretty sure he would have killed that sucker. So <laughs> it, cool. it would have been a, would have been a really awesome trip that we both tagged out. But uh, no, it was it was a heck of a lot of fun, man. That was that was one of my favorite hunts that I've ever done. It was just cool. It was just cool, and some really good guys to come and help out with it. You know, I can't thank those guys enough for helping me out, Cody and my brother and and Chris. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was good great. To, good to have good buddies. Well, man, I mean, we could talk forever and ever. Uh, you have a lifetime yeah. of stories, I can tell, which is awesome. I mean, that's why we 
guys like you are the reason we do this podcast, you know, just regular well, guys you know, just I mean, love bow hunting and use insurance money for yeah. car wrecks to buy bows. That's that's who we that's who we that's who we mingle with. The same class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, all your listeners, you know what you gotta do to get on the podcast is just you know, you tell Bob all your good elk hunting spots. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I, I mean I have, to, I have to thank you again for all the help. That was definitely <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and, Incidentally, and Tom, I wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for a Nevada tag that I can't even apply for for another seven yeah, years yeah, or something like that. Guys are awfully helpful when it's it's not going to affect them, that's for sure. But I do appreciate it, man. That was you didn't need to do that, and it was awesome to get a going somewhere you've you've never hunted that species. It's helpful to get some local knowledge, which you had, which is awesome, and that just goes to show for you know the trad community too. Guys are so helpful. You know, because there's not yeah. a lot of and, us. So. And that was actually the hunt that really drove me to go seek out Joel Turner and Tom Clunk because I hit an elk in the shoulder and lost him there, and he was huge. Yeah. I mean, huge. He was I, – I, I feel relatively confident that this is the largest elk I will ever have a chance at. <laughs> he wasn't yeah. 400 inches. We'll put it that way. At least I got that going for me. Yeah. But yeah. Well, in Wyoming a few years ago, I, I shot a, a 350 bull, and I promise you, he was a lot bigger than that one. Yeah, wow. so, one's down yeah. there, that's for sure. Well, Tom, I don't care what they say about you. You're an all right guy. I think I do like you. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> appreciate it, Jim. Uh, well, like I said, Tom, thanks, buddy. We really appreciate it, and uh, taking up your time on a Saturday to – Share some good info and some good stories with our listeners, and we'll definitely have to get you back on because, like I said, you get a lifetime of stories, and hopefully next year we'll get you back on and hear the story of your 400-inch bull you killed in on No Tellum Ridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, thanks. Yeah, you yeah, bet. Thank have you. Once again, we'd like to thank the listeners. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. We appreciate the support. Check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. We're on Instagram. If you guys are uh, not on Instagram, you guys should get on there. You get to see a lot of the pictures and uh, the things that go with uh, some of these interviews. And we hope you guys have a uh, great New Year's. Keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight.